My apologies. Let me welcome you to Charlotte Chapel this morning. As Phil said, my name is Martin Smith, and I have the privilege of working at this church as one of the pastors in training, which means that I study full-time up on the mount, and then I work for the church part-time. Uh, you'll have to bear with me a little bit this morning. I've been fighting a cold uh, through the week, so if I'm sniffling away a little bit, uh, just bear with me. I've taken enough lockets to keep them in business for at least the next few years, uh, so hopefully that will do its work. Before we come to God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning amazed at your grace, that we might be your people. And Father, we come this morning hungry that you would speak to us, that your word would refresh and revive our souls, that you would equip us through it to be your servants. So would you speak to us now, help us all to hear from your word to know what you would say to us this morning. Let that truth embed itself deep in our hearts that we might be transformed to be your servants better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as many of you know, our uh, regular habit as a church is to take a book of the Bible and work through it week by week, looking at a different chunk each week. But uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking a little bit at this just down on my right-hand side, our church vision for mature disciples to love God, grow in Christ's likeness, serve Christ's church, and go and make disciples. We've been looking at that over the past month, really, and that's our vision for what we think disciples should be all about. And really, we're saying that's the point of being on earth, is to do these four things. And so last Sunday, we dug into this idea of go, to be a mature disciple is to be someone who goes. And so Paul took us through the idea that to be in God's family is to be part of a mandatory mission. Paul Rees last week said, and I quote, his saved people are his sent people, no exceptions. There is a call on all disciples to go and make more disciples. So that's last weekend, go and make disciples. Next weekend, as Philip announced, is our Go Global weekend, another call to go. So God willing, next weekend, Dave Horn is going to be here to speak to us about the call to go, not only to make disciples here in Edinburgh or here in Scotland, but in all the nations. And I hope he's going to make statements as biblical and as bold as the glory of God among the nations is the reason everyone in this room's got breath. So that's the two weekends we're between, right? Go and make disciples, Paul Reese last weekend. Go and make disciples of all nations next weekend. And I think we should say yes to those two calls, right? That's the two calls we stand between this weekend. But here's my concern this morning, and here's what I want us to think about this morning, that as we hear those calls to go, and as I hope we say yes to them, how are we going to keep on keeping on in that mission life? If, if God's calling us to go, and we should say yes to that going, to not say yes to that would to be immature disciples. To waste our lives would be to say no to going. But if we're going to do that, how are we going to keep going? How are we going to not lose heart? How are we going to keep on keeping on in missions? How are we going to endure? Because it's tough, right? The reality of, of go, yes, it's glorious. Yes, it's an amazing call, but it's tough, isn't it? Maybe you've been finding that. The call to mission is a bit daunting. It can be a bit difficult to go and make disciples. It can be dangerous. Maybe next weekend, some people are going to get called to go and make disciples in context where it is life and death, where it's dangerous. 
Maybe you look at the world and it's discouraging from a missions point of view. Maybe you look at some of you Christians uh, in this room this morning and you think, we all look a bit weak. If this is it, if this is the team that's going on mission, it's not impressive. It looks weak and, and we're struggling. Maybe you look at our mission partners and you think that. Maybe you look at the pastoral team and you think that just looks weak and discouraging. It cannot be that weak. It cannot be that tough. And you're going to keep calling me to go and to go and to go. Maybe you're already going and you're just finding it hard. There's setbacks. There's rejections. There's costs. And I think together as a church, the more we think about mission, the more we think about this call to go, we're starting to see that the call to be fishers of men is not the call to be hobby time anglers down at the pike pond one weekend a month. That is not what the call to be fishers of men is. The call to sow seeds of gospel truth is not the call to have an allotment. It's not hobby farming. It's tough. It's backbreaking. It's challenging. There's suffering inherent in being a full-time farmer. It's not an easy job. And maybe all of that challenge and all of our weakness is just knocking the wind out of your mission sail this morning. So even though we're going to hear these calls to go, we're just tired or we're just too frightened or it's just too hard and so we don't get going or we stop in our going maybe that's where you're at this morning so if we're going to keep going right if we're going to hear and obey last weekend Paul Reese go and make disciples next weekend David Horner go and make disciples of all nations we're going to need something to encourage and to bolster our hearts in our going We're going to need some rock-solid foundations on which to base ourselves so that we don't lose heart. That's exactly what I want us to do this morning, to give ourselves foundations on which not to lose heart. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians 4. If you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab that and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is written to a group of people who are sensing the weakness of Go Ministry. Sensing the weakness of goers, feeling the suffering of going, and they are tempted not to lose heart. And so the Apostle Paul writes to them to say how it is his heart keeps going, and how it is our hearts, brothers and sisters, this morning can be made new each day for mission. So let's read together from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're using a Pew Bible, I think that's page 1160. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we, are, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. This is God's word to us. You'll see the emphasis and the goal of that passage repeated there, verse 1 and verse 16, both saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. That's the focus of this passage, and so it's going to be the focus of our time together this morning, not losing heart. Uh, This is a passage that's incredibly honest about the challenges of going and making disciples of all nations, but it's a passage where Paul just lays down these mammoth foundations for not losing heart for not throwing in the mission towel or failing to take it up altogether. Uh, You might have noticed in the sermon title or in the passage as we read that word, therefore, that's incredibly important in verse 1 and verse 16. This word, therefore, links everything in the passage to the idea of not losing heart. The call to not lose heart isn't like the call to levitate, right? It's not just float. It's not an unfounded call to say don't lose heart. It's grounded. There's parts of this pa- all of the parts of this passage are working up to this statement, therefore we do not lose heart. They prop up the statement, therefore we do not lose heart. And then on the other side of it, you'll see in verse 17, a four, another leg propping up this statement, we do not lose heart. And it's like the pillars of this pulpit, right? There's a pillar down here, therefore I am off the ground. And I am off the ground, for there is also a pillar down here. I'm not levitating. There's these pillarly reasons why I'm off the ground right now. There is a pillar here, therefore the pulpit stands. And the pulpit stands for there is a pillar here. So what we're going to do this morning is go through 2 Corinthians 4 and find these pillars to prop up not losing heart. That we might be, as verse 16 says, renewed day by day. Have hearts made new for going day by day. So as we hear last weekend and next weekend, we don't think I can't face it anymore. We don't bottle it, right? But we have hearts that are made new and ready to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're going to do this reason. We're going to look at these reasons. And I just want to flood your arsenal with reasons not to lose heart. 
So when the discouragements come, you know how to keep on keeping on. That's what we're going to do this morning. So the first reason there in that text, not to lose heart, reason number one is that through God's mercy, we have this glorious ministry. Do you see that in verse one? Read verse one again with me. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Reason number one, not to lose heart in going ministry is that we have this ministry through the mercy of God. When it talks about this ministry, it means chapter three that we read earlier, this glorious thing it is to go and make disciples, more glorious than the covenant work of Moses, whose face shone with the glory of God. To go and make disciples is that glorious. To be a minister of the new covenant is this mammoth, glorious, best thing you could do with your life thing. And it's ours. People like me and you are called to be part of that ministry. And how have we been called to it? Through the mercy of God. All of the glories of that ministry, mine and yours. Through God's mercy, as we receive salvation, we received this ministry. It's an incredible thing that we have been given this glorious task. And that was really what last week's sermon was about, right? I think Paul Reese even let go a woohoo at one point at the idea of being a goer. This is the best thing to do with your existing. It's a glorious ministry, far more glorious than the ministry even of Moses to go and make disciples. And that it's ours is a reason not to lose heart. All of chapter three is a reason, but that's a separate sermon. And so we'll get back to chapter four where we actually start to understand what this ministry is. So if you read verses two to six together again, we'll start to see what going ministry actually looks like. Let's read verse two. Rather, we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, this is new covenant ministry. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that he cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's the job, right? That's what we're called to do, to set the truth of God's word forth to people plainly, not exalting ourselves, not boasting in ourselves, but laying out Jesus Christ as Lord to people. That is the glorious ministry of the new covenant. And it's ours to set forward the gospel like that is glorious. But did you notice that there's actually reasons for discouragement in what we just read? As we start to think about not losing heart in going ministry, he's actually going to talk about a lot of realities which will probably make us lose heart. And it's right in the middle of the, the things that would discourage us that he wants to show the encouragement. He doesn't want to just lay up ethereal kind of reasons not to lose heart. This is grounded in the experience of mission. That's where he wants to place them. So straight away in verses 3 and 4, that's discouraging, right? That's discouraging. This is brutally honest about the nature of New Covenant ministry. Some people are blind to the gospel. Not only are they blind in verse 4, they're being blinded. 
There's an enemy at work. Uh, the God of this age I take to be Satan. Uh, you remember in Ephesians 2, uh, the ruler of the spirit, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the one who's at work blinding people. So as we're going about New Covenant ministry, trying to tell people about Jesus, some of them are blind and they're being blinded by an enemy. That blindness is paralleled in verse 6 with darkness. There is darkness at work. Not everyone's going to see the glory of the gospel, right? They might know the gospel facts, but you see that? They don't see its glory. That's where we're ministering, in a dark place. People are blind. People are perishing. Maybe that's exactly what knocks the winds out of your mission sails, right? You try and share the gospel with people, and some people don't become Christians. That's really discouraging. And you're going to come back next weekend and be told to go and do that same thing somewhere else? How on earth is this in a passage about not losing heart, that some people are blind, that there's darkness? Spurgeon talks about this ministry of of shining light in the darkness, and he's so honest about what it is. Listen to this about New Covenant ministry and the reality of darkness. Our work, when earnestly undertaken, lays us open to the attacks in the direction of depression. Who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking to the dust? Passionate longings after men's conversions, if not fully satisfied, and when are they? Consume the soul with anxiety and disappointment. To see the hopeful turn aside, waxing more boldly into sin. Are these sights not enough to crush the earth? It's hard, isn't it, when we share the gospel and people don't believe. It crushes our souls when the ones we love don't put their faith in the one who loves them. So how on earth is this in a passage about not losing heart? Well, it's because, verses 5 and 6, as we preach Christ as Lord, verse 6 happens. This is reason number 2, not to lose heart. Amid darkness, God shines light. Yes, there is darkness, but verse 6 is a reason not to lose heart. Let's read it again together. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There is darkness, there is blindness, but God shines forth light into blind people, into darkened hearts, into dull minds. He shines light. Verse 15, you can see that at work, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people, it's working. Grace is reaching more and more. Light shines into darkened hearts. People, through the gospel truth, come to understand the glory of God. And so they put their faith in Christ. That is happening. That's remarkable, isn't it? Do you see the comparison with Genesis 1? When there was absolute nothing, absolute darkness, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Our world can seem spiritually as dark as that, can't it? Scotland feels that dark, just an abyss. But God, who said, let there be light, and there was light, shines the gospel light into people's hearts, that they might know its glory. He shines the light. The reality is it's shown in us, hasn't it? That light has already been shown into our hearts. Therefore, we do not lose heart. As it shines in us, and it shines through others, even amid darkness. Reason number two, not to lose heart. God shines light. 
Uh, If you're not a Christian this morning, there's some great advice in these verses as to what you should do. Number one, you should try and put yourself around people who preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Try and get your ears near people who aren't exalting themselves, but are exalting Jesus and explaining the gospel facts of his death and resurrection that you might be forgiven and have new life. That's how you're going to understand the glory. But as you do that, the second thing you need to do is pray for God to open your eyes. That's what we're praying for you as you hear about the gospel, that God might shine that light into your eyes. That's what's happened to us as Christians, and that is now what is happening through us as Christians. And it's the reality of God doing that work through us which becomes the basis for the rest of the reasons not to lose heart, that this incredible light of the gospel is now in us becomes a reason not to lose heart. So let's read the next reason in verse 7. But we have this treasure, that's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See that picture of our weakness, right? A jar of clay. A clay pot. It's cheap. It's fragile. I was going to buy one and smash it in the pulpit, but I don't, I don't even know where you buy a clay pot. But they're cheap, right? Disposable. You can smash them. Clay pots are not strong. They're not valuable. They're not impressive. No clay pot boasts in itself, right? And, into the, and that, that's been compared with us. Fragile, weak vessels. Our weakness is on display as we get compared to clay pots. That's that's the thing that the Corinthians were struggling so hard to understand. They were looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, his weakness and the fact that he suffers is just unbelievable. It's almost a disqualification from ministry in chapter 10. How can you be this weak and yet be a worker of this glorious covenant? How does that make sense? Isn't that discouraging that people are so weak? Right? Maybe you think that about yourself. If you're going to be a goer, go and share the gospel this week at work or at school or wherever. You're weak. Look at our missionaries. They're weak. Look at me. I'm weak. I got a cold this week. Not indestructible at all. Totally destroyable. Clay jar. rest of the pastoral team, clay jars. Even the writers of the best books that you read, clay jars. And maybe that weakness and the weakness of others just puts you off going and making disciples. But Paul says right here that this weakness is actually a reason not to lose heart. That though we are weak, God shows his strength in us. The pot doesn't boast in itself, but it shows the treasure, right? Nobody's seen that pot at work and thinking, that pot is amazing. They see the treasure, and they see the strength and the power of that treasure. That treasure is inside. So the reason number three, not to lose heart, is that through weakness our weakness, God shows his strength. If you're worried that you're not impressive, that I'm not impressive, how could you invite your friends to church when people like this preach? If you're worried that our missionaries aren't impressive, if you're worried that this church, even together, isn't impressive, you're right. But God is. Our God is, and his power is shown perfectly in our weakness. Our fragility promotes his fame. That's how it works. Our weakness shows the strength of God. Should we be discouraged that we're weak? No. God's glory shines in our weakness. How's that a reason not to lose heart? 
It's only a reason if you treasure God's glory above your own glory, right? If you're still all about you, that's not a reason to lose heart, not to lose heart. But actually, if God's glory has become the most precious thing in your life, that he might be glorified, even through you looking stupid and looking fragile, is a serious reason for encouragement. My fragility works for his fame. I rejoice in my fragility because I love his fame. Do you see that as well in verse 15? Causing thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, don't lose heart. God is being glorified. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Reason number three. Through weakness, God shows his strength. This is something Paul knows full well. He's best friends with his own weakness, right? He knows it intimately. And that's exactly what he goes on to show us in the next few reasons. This weakness working strength. The, the next reason is kind of a display of the last one. So reason number four, not to lose heart, is that we are, but not. We are blank, but not blank. Look at that in verses eight and nine. There's all these we are's, but then they're followed by the but nots. Verse eight and nine, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Again, these are all little nuggety reasons not to lose heart, right? If you're tempted to lose heart, recall these things. And every one of them is showing our weakness, but God's strength at work, right? The, the we are's crushed, persecuted, shows our weakness. Perplexed shows our weakness, but the but nots show the treasure within, right? That we are but not is how the weakness is showing the strength in T Corinthians Four. So we're going to fly through these we are but nots really quickly. It's amazing the honesty about the toughness of ministry, isn't it? We're going to be goers. It's going to include these things. If we're going to be sacrificial, radical, go and make disciples of all nations, obedient Christians, here's some of the things it's going to look like. But don't freak out. Our weakness declares his strength. First one we see, we are hard-pressed. That's part of the reality of going. That socially, societally, financially, time-wise, we're going to be pressed. We're going to be stretched, squashed. It's going to be difficult. Our time, our lives are going to be hard-pressed. We are hard-pressed, but not crushed. Christians get squeezed, they don't get squashed. That's a reason not to lose heart, isn't it? As we go, squeezed, but not squashed. Next one, perplexed. Paul the Apostle, possibly the greatest theological mind ever, perplexed by the realities of Go ministry. He's confused by it sometimes. The reality of going can get confusing, right? We look at ourselves, seriously, this is what we're going to go with? Look at the gospel, we're going to go into unreached people groups and we're going to tell them about a Jesus who died for them and is now raised to life, that they might be forgiven. Really? That's the plan? It's perplexing, right? Confusing. But not to despair. We might be at a loss, but we don't lose our minds. Next reason, persecuted. If you've been with us in our evening series over the past few weeks, you'll have seen in Acts, Paul knew what persecution was. You might have seen that on the news lately about Christians, brothers and sisters across the world who are going where they are, persecuted. Persecuted for the sake of Christ. Maybe that's even starting to be your experience of Scotland a little bit. That there's some people who would want to bully us into staying silent. 
even in this country. Persecuted. Brothers and sisters get persecuted. But don't lose heart. Why? We're not abandoned. We are never abandoned in the mission. Even as we're persecuted, we're not abandoned. That brother or sister who is dragged out and shot for the sake of the gospel was never abandoned by their God and King. And neither will we be as we go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's true as you're persecuted for Christ Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Next reason, struck down but not destroyed. The Apostle Paul physically was struck to the deck, but they could never destroy him. All of these little encouragements for us not to lose heart, as does the next reason, which really flows out of them and caps them off. Reason number five in verses 10 to 12. Let's read those together again. Verses 10 to 12. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us but life is at work in us in you. Reason number five, not to lose heart. Death is working life. Do you see how death might be a reason to be discouraged as we go? That's pretty discouraging. But it works life. Verses 10 to 11, 10 to 12. Death is working life. Do you see that death in the we are's? We are hard pressed. We are crushed. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We're struck down. That's dying. But the life is being revealed in our bodies. The life of Christ is revealed in the but nots. That we're not destroyed. That we're not in despair. That we're not squashed. Death is working to reveal life. As we suffer in Go Ministry, the life of Christ is revealed in us. Those who are sharing in the death of Christ are showing the life of Christ. That's how it works. Death is working life. And it's not just working to show it in us. It's working in other people, right? Do you see that? In verse 12. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. As we die in Go Ministry, as we die going global, as we carry the cost, as we make mission sacrifices, as we preach the word of Christ to the lost, it works life in other people. It works for their living. If you're a Christian, you're probably not unfamiliar with the idea of death working for life, right? Familiar with the idea of one person's death working for the life of others. Like the Lord Jesus, like the gospel that we would proclaim. That through his death, life has been worked in others. As he suffered, life was worked in others. His death for sinners worked life, righteous life for them. That pattern is not done with. Death for life continues, and it continues through us, not in the same way. Hear me right on this. We do not die to pay for the sins of other people. That's not how it works. That's heresy. If I was to say that, I'd be sacked. But this pattern of our dying, our sharing in the death of Christ, working the life of Christ in other people carries on. As we suffer in ministry, it works for the living of other people. Other people get to come to life. So whatever mission's going to cost us, right? Whether it's going to cost us our money, our time, our comfort, our relationships, our lifestyles, our jobs, our good health, our smooth skin, our unruffled hair, 
the sweat of our brows, the shirts off our backs, our careers, our retirements, even our very lives as we believing must speak. It is worth it. It is worth it. If our dying works for the life of other people, it's good to die. God considered the life of other people to be worth the death of Christ. The eternal Son of God, very God of very gods, died to work the life of others. We cannot say it is not worth our dying. If it was worth the blood of Christ, it is worth ours, right? To work for the life of others. And even if it costs us our deaths, it's to his glory as more and more people are reached. And did you see verse 15 as well? And in verse 14, even as we die, we've got confidence of a resurrection. Even if mission costs us our life, it's all gravy. Why? Because those who share in the death of Christ share in the resurrection life of Christ at his return. If this is dying, if we share in his death, be assured we will share in his resurrection life in verse 14. That's some pillar, isn't it? Not to lose heart. Yeah, it might cost us our lives, but it's okay. Resurrection life is coming. So after all of these reasons, we get to verse 16. Therefore, all of the above, all of these pillars prop up, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, amen we are. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Even as this suffering happens, we're being renewed for mission day by day. That is how Paul is able to be someone who gets knocked down, but he gets up again. In fact, they never really did keep Paul down. Do you remember that song, get knocked down, but I get up again? A certain generation gets it, a certain generation doesn't. Uh, Two generations don't get it, there's a middle generation that loves that song. As we get knocked down, we can be made new to get back up again, day by day, daily knocked, daily back up. Never really kept down. How? Through those reasons. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, Charlotte Chapel, we're weak. Yeah, we suffer as we go. It costs us. Yeah, we might die. You might be called to go to a foreign country next weekend. It might cost you your life. It might cost you your denby. It's even worse for some of us. But you know what? As that happens, grace reaches more and more people to the glory of God. Even though we're weak, his power is displayed. Even as we suffer, he sets limits on our sufferings, right? We are, but not. And even as we die, he works that for the life of others. And even as we die, we've got full assurance of a resurrection life. Therefore, we do not lose heart though outwardly, wasting away. And we are, right? Never your anti-aging cream doesn't work forever. We are wasting away. It's happening physically as we go on mission. We're wasting away. We get wrinkled by it. It takes its toll, but inwardly, our hearts made new day by day, encouraged to keep going on missionary, that, on missions. That is why it can get as bad as it got for Paul but we can stay as bold as Paul was. It can get that bad, that list of stuff, but we can stay that bold to speak. Hearts made new, 
not lost, wind still fully in our mission sails because of those reasons. And if you're needing one more, verse 17, four, the pillar down on my left, four, verse 17, read with me. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The troubles we've looked at, reason number six, not to lose heart, our troubles achieve glory. All of the troubles we've looked at, they might look like grounds to bottle it, right? To get discouraged, to lose heart, to quit. But actually, they are grounds not to lose heart when we realize what they're working for us in glory. And Paul isn't saying that these things are trifle, right? He's not saying that the sufferings we might encounter on mission are just trivial. They're not. Light and momentary is not a declaration that they're easy. If you want to know about the kind of stuff Paul suffered, you can see some of that in chapter 11. Let me read some of what Paul is calling light and momentary. I have worked much harder. This is Paul's experience of going. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews. Forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. In danger from bandits. In danger from my own countrymen. In danger from the Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the city. In danger at sea. In danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. And I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? Seriously, he's going to call that light? Momentary? How on earth can you cause, call that for a lifetime light and momentary? How on earth... Can you describe the cost that mission should cost us as light? It's only when you compare it to something immensely weighty, right? This looks light in the scale when something immensely heavy gets put on the other side. And that's exactly what he says. It's light compared to the eternal weight of glory. There's this weighty thing being worked up by this light thing. For that to be true, missions has to be working something immensely glorious, right? The glory that is worked up by those who suffer as we go must be so heavy. And it is. How can he call it momentary? Paul's not a 15-year-old who's been on one mission trip to Uganda, right? He's in his 50s. Do you see how many times this stuff had happened to him? Multiple times. And yet he says it's momentary. A lifetime of that kind of suffering, momentary, really? Yeah. When you compare it to an eternal glory, it's fleeting. He's not making light of them. He's not saying they're a joke. But he is saying if we frame the sufferings of mission rightly, we've got a reason not to lose heart. If we are looking towards an eternal weighty glory as we suffer on mission together, it's all right. It's all right. We cannot lose heart. That's why verse 18 is the important statement of this passage. It gives just one instruction. So, here's what we need to do, Charlotte Chapel. So, we fix our eyes 
not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We can keep on going. We can say yes to last weekend and yes to next weekend and yes to a million more mission weekends to come if we fix our eyes, not on the seen things, but on the unseen things. That's exactly what chapter 4 has been doing for us, hasn't it? Taking our eyes off the seen things of mission and onto the unseen things of what God is doing in shining light and what God is doing in our hearts and what God is doing in our world and what God has in store for those who suffer for him on the eternity of, of being with God. We fix our eyes on the Godward, not on what is seen. If we're going to go and consistently go and be relentless goers, we're going to need to have our eyes fixed on Christ and on the glory that is to come, on the unseen things of mission. That's how we're not going to lose heart. If you're not going to fix your eyes on that, if you're not going to recall and, and plug into your mind reasons like that, and there's more than six in this passage, by the way. If you think six-point sermon, that's crazy. It could have been 12. And I've got a whole rest of the New Testament to give me reasons not to lose heart in mission. There's lots of reasons. But if we don't fix our eyes on those as we suffer, we're going to stall in mission or we might not even start in mission. The reward is there. What I'm asking us to do this morning is to put the reward of mission, uh, to have that in mind as our pension plan. That's what we're working towards. The payoff might not be in this lifetime. The payoff is eternal. That's way better. So I want us to live life with eternal weighty glories as our pension plan. And so be obedient to last weekend, next weekend, to go. These unseen things can renew us daily so we can not lose heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.